Welcome to Speed to Contract, Speed to Market, the show where thought leaders share their vast experience and new possibilities for expediting the government contract process. It's never been more critical for acquisition to become faster and more efficient. Our nation's security and freedom depend on it. Here's your host, Tim Templeton. It is my pleasure to introduce Soraya Correa. Ms. Correa served as the Department of Homeland Security Chief Procurement Officer and Senior Procurement Executive, whereby she was responsible for the implementation of acquisition policies, regulations, and standards of the agency. Her work included direct oversight of all procurement operations, including the work of over 1,500 procurement professionals assigned to the 10 heads of contracting activities that provided contracting services to DHS components, organizations, and offices. Under her watch, the DHS procurement portfolio exceeded $25 billion per year and consisted of the acquisition of the necessary spectrum of services and products. Sarah Correa is a recognized transformational leader who designed several groundbreaking programs, including the Procurement Innovation Lab at DHS, that was adopted by other federal agencies to improve business processes. Today, Ms. Correa runs an independent consulting firm providing advice and assistance to professional associations, industry, and academia on procurement matters. Ms. Correa is a fellow of the National Academy of Public Administration, a senior advisor to the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council, and serves on the Board of Advisors of the National Contract Management Association. Soraya, welcome to the podcast. Well, Tim, thank you. And thank you for that kind introduction and warm welcome. I'm excited to be here and have the opportunity to chat with you. Uh, Excellent. Well, Soraya, as you are well aware, we have antiquated policies of budgeting and controls that is seen by many leaders as a national security problem for our country and warfighters. From your point of view, Where does the solution to this problem start? So first of all, I share the concern. I really do. I often talk about the fact that we have got to get this right, because those who would do harm to us are not governed by the federal acquisition regulation. They do not have GAOs, IGs, or Congress that look over their shoulders. They do not have the transparency and do not comply with the ethics that we have to in this country. And I think all those things are necessary for our system. So we just have to find a way to continue to do those things, but do them more efficiently, more expertly, so that we can address ourselves to to the the concerns that we have, the threats that we face. Mm -hmm. So to me, it has always started with leadership. It has to be leadership. It has to start from the top. Leaders have to understand the threats that we face, They have to understand the the parameters within which we have to work. They have to understand the rules and they have to be able to guide, lead, direct, and mentor the people that work for them on how to navigate those rules and still be efficient, still be productive. Um, For myself, I incorporated the word mission in everything that I talk to my staff about. I reminded them why they were there every day. I never talked about a contracting community that wrote contracts. I talked about a contracting community that enables the delivery of a mission. 
Because if you put it in that context, then we all feel the urgency. We all feel the need. We understand the importance. Mm. You know, one of the things in our uh, previous conversations where we talked in depth, and I just love your background on leadership and how you approached your team. And it was obvious to me uh, the support that you garnered, the culture that you built. Uh, it, it started uh, to be able to manage up, manage down, and manage all around, It's in your words. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to us a little bit in terms of a big project, because we're approaching, obviously, a, a big issue that's going to take a big team uh, to really affect change going forward. But how do you pull all that together uh, as, a, as a good leader? I mean, what from your point of view and your experience? So first of all, it is about being a good leader, right? First, you have to look at yourself and make sure that you're the right leader, that you're doing the right things and working with your teams and your counterparts and your leadership in the right way. You have to be thoroughly engaged. The most important part of leadership is really being engaged, not only with the people that work for you and the people that you work for, but those around you, those that impact you, whether it's, the, in my case, the chief financial officer, the chief information officer, I made sure that I had connections and relationships with those individuals, that I understood their roles and responsibilities and how they affected my role and responsibility. And that I made sure that I educated my workforce on what those roles and responsibilities were and how they impacted us. And that I made sure that my leadership understood that I understood the importance of that teamwork, that camaraderie, that partnership, that is that CXO community. What I would say, whenever you're, you're, you're confronting a big issue, the first thing you got to do is figure out what the issue is. What's the problem? Write down a problem statement. You know, I always tell people, if you write it down, you'll be far more invested in it than if you just keep it inside your head. And I seriously mean that. When I stood up the Procurement Innovation Lab, I'll use that as an example. I didn't walk in with a big binder of ideas that I had. No, I walked up and I said, I want somebody who wants to be a change agent. And I went to my policy shop, by the way to pull up a change agent. Think about that, my policy shop, and said, here's what I want to do. I want to create a safe space for people to bring me their very good ideas. And I'm talking about the people that bang on the keyboard, the user, the contracting officer, the contract specialist, not their bosses, them. I want them to bring me any good ideas they have on how we can do our work better. What are the steps that we can cut down on? How can we be more efficient, more practical, and more innovative in how we buy? And I want us to take a look at their ideas, make sure that there are no problems with those ideas, that they're not violating any regulations because we got to stay within the four corners of the law. And then let's cultivate that idea. We're going to call this thing some kind of innovation hub. They came up with the name Procurement Innovation Lab, even though they give me a lot of credit because I said, take a pill if, if you got a headache with procurement. <laughs> um, um, and I will tell you the story about the little blue pill. But anyway, so the point was, though, I challenged them to create an environment where people could come and have a conversation with them and try to solve a problem. And what I reminded my, my team was, you do not do the procurement. They do the procurement. It's their idea. I want them to implement. What we're going to do is help guide them and coach them through the process and work with them to make sure that the folks that are on their team also understand the importance of what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do, do it. And then I told my team, and here's the promise and the commitment that we make to the family. And that is, if they succeed, they get to go out and tell everybody what they did. 
They're going to get all the awards and all the accolades, everything. But if they fail, I am that. Soraya Correa. Not anyone else. Me. I will stand there and take the hit for them. And I will make sure that people understand what they did, why they did it, and what the learning was that came from that. Because here's the thing. In government, we're always afraid to fail. We're Mm -hmm. always afraid to fail. And anybody who knows anything about success knows the first rule of success is that you will have failures. And you learn from those failures. Mm -hmm. And if you learn from those failures, then you can create a very strong team and a strong body. People believed in me because, unfortunately, I had the good fortune, I guess, um, to fail early and fail fast, right? Uh, We did a major procurement. It was called Flash um, for the CIO's office. And my CIO counterpart was phenomenal in working with us. Um, And we came up with some really smart ideas about how to streamline the procurement. Even how we did our industry engagement was completely different from anything we'd ever done before. Very successful. Where we kind of fell apart, it was a multiple award procurement, $1.2 billion. Um, Where things kind of got off the rails was in the actual evaluation and the documentation that we developed. So long story short, we said we would award eight to to 15 contracts. We ended up awarding, I think it was like 12 or 13 contracts, ended up getting protested. We took corrective action, got protested again. I'm giving you the very short version of this. Um, By the second protest, I said, done, finito, we're not doing this. Because I'm also very adamant that I will not be strong-armed into making additional contract awards. And so, and that was the goal of the protests, in my opinion. So we decided to cancel the procurement after conference with the CIO and others. I said, we're not going to put our team through this. We're going to cancel the procurement. So we did. And we happened to cancel it, say, on a Monday and on the Tuesday. My boss and I were at a conference speaking, and somebody raised their hand and asked us the question about the procurement. And I stood up and I said, yes, I canceled the procurement. But you know what? That team that worked on that procurement is going to get a lot of awards because they deserve a lot of credit for the work that they did. And my boss who was standing right next to me said, and I own this with her. In that moment, we sealed that promise that I had made to people. And we followed through on it. We stood with that procurement. Oh, and by the way, Look at me now. My head is still attached to my shoulder. <laughs> $1.2 billion procurement. Of course, you know, it's an IDIQ, multiple award, but I had also done my work. I had been out talking to people about the procurement, right? I had been out selling the concept of the Procurement Innovation Lab and trying things differently. And when we issued the solicitation, I said, this is an experiment. And as a result, people accepted that there could be failure. And then when I acknowledged the failure, I wasn't secretive about it. And I didn't blame anyone. I just said, hey, things got off the rail. Here's where it got off the rail. Wasn't anybody's fault. We didn't think this one through. One of the biggest surprises was that eight of the companies that won awards, who lost the awards because I canceled, penned a letter to me thanking me for doing the experiment and saying, keep doing what you're doing. The experience was worth it. Because we sped up the process. We did it in three months, what would take years. Mm-hmm. And the team, uh, the contracting officer hosted her own webinar. We had we let them host webinars to talk about lessons learned, that kind of stuff. She talked about that. She talked about that confidence in leadership and the support and what it meant to her and why they were comfortable working on this and why they were comfortable acknowledging the failure. And it was because leadership was with them. Leadership matters. It really does. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, you and I talked about the fact that you can go to a lot of fancy schools and stuff. I, my leadership training came from the school of hard knocks coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I started out as a clerk typist, became a contract specialist, and I stubbed my toe once or twice, okay? And I learned. But one of the most important things I learned was the value of leadership, of mm-hmm. taking care of your people, supporting them, having their backs all the time, and making sure that they know you exist. And that's a really important part of it, making sure they know you exist and that you understand what they do. We're going to talk in a, se- in a second here about some solutions from your point of view to really next steps, because you're so pragmatic on your approach. And I, I really, really appreciate it. But one of the things for our listeners, uh, if this is all you heard in terms of this podcast and what Sarai has to say, this is about leadership. And to understand and how to create a culture where your team is for you instead of against you, it goes against our grain. And for you to to come up and say, you know what, you're going to own the successes and I'm going to take the failures on and I'm going to protect you. And and in a space where people are interested and and intuitively want to cover themselves, right, this is different. And it's new. And it, it, it sounds like, well, that's simple, but implementing it is not. And so I, I really commend you on it. And really the thought of leadership, uh, I don't care what the background is, that experience. And if you're able to implement that going forward will help anyone's career go to the next level. Speed to contract, speed to market. Well, let's, let's go to this next step. And the next step is obviously we've got this national security issue. Many have talked about it. We've got this threat looming in 2027. Uh, we've got great upheavals going on, uh, you know, in our world right now. Uh, you've been in the middle and have experienced lots of emergencies. You've watched our government, our contractors, our departments work through in peacetime, wartime. You know, from your point of view. Uh, for us to go back and create a team, a team of industry experts, just kind of unpack your thoughts of where do we start? What are those things, those those steps, those next steps down at the tarmac level that we should approach to really affect change and be able to move forward uh, with the right individuals? So first and foremost is we've got to define the problem. We've got to create that problem statement. And we have to speak in a common language, right? We have to make sure that everyone understands the problem the same way. But most importantly, we got to assemble a team of passionate leaders that understand what leadership means. Unfortunately, there are too many leaders out there that still think that when they become a leader, it's about them. It's it's about the team you lead. They will take care of you. You will have greatness because they were great. So when you focus on your team and you focus on enabling them to understand what is the problem that we're trying to solve? What are the goals that we're trying to achieve? What is that hill that we're going to charge, as I like to used to say to my staff? I used to always say, my job is not to tell you how. You tell me how you're going to do it. I'm just going to tell you where we're trying to get to, right? You're going to get me from point A to point Z, and you tell me how you're going to get there. And along the way, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to keep talking so that I understand the steps that you're taking and I can help you course correct or I can run interference because that's the job of leadership. We need to pull together a team of real leaders that understand this, that bring this passion, this commitment, and this understanding of what the role of leadership is 
so that we can guide the others on how we make these changes. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we have to do is we have to communicate a sense of urgency. Um, I don't want to be critical of, of all these panels and because they do a lot of great work. But we put together these big behemoth panels with a lot of star names. I'm not a star name. I'm just Sarai, right? <laughs> you need people like at my level that are practical, that are going to sit down and say, what can we do in 30 days and 60 days and 90 days? This was the whole idea behind the pill, by the way. It sounds so simple, but it works so effectively because I said, what are we going to do now? I don't want to talk about regulation changes. I don't I don't have time for that. Those processes take long. Yeah, you could expedite them, but everybody's not going to be uh, invested in expediting. Let's focus on what we can do with the here and now. And let's come up with our short-term goals and our long-term goals. Mm -hmm. And let's make sure that we're constantly revisiting those goals and that we treat the plan like what it is. It's a plan. And when we bump into an obstacle, we course correct. We adjust the plan and keep going, right? But we have to have a sense of urgency and we have to all be on the same playlist, right? We all have to agree, this is the problem. This is how we're going to communicate the problem. This is how we're going to pull together our plan and here are the things that we are going to do. And here are the measures for success, okay? And we're going to have to be willing to accept when we're not successful in some areas, right? We're going to have to be willing to say, this one's not going down the right path. Let's abandon that. Let's move over here. Because all too often, sometimes uh, folks become invested in what they're doing mm -hmm. and they're not willing to course correct. I give you the example of Flash. In another agency at another place in time with another boss, we probably would still be working on the freaking Flash procurement. <laughs> <laughs> we really would. I'm, I'm that serious. Years yeah, later. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Me, I'm like, that's not practical. Seven, nine months into it, I'm like, done. Let's go. Let's move on. Let's go find the next solution because it doesn't make sense to beat a dead horse. In fact, I used to have a great boss that said, when the horse is dead, dismount. You've hit on some really key issues, right? I mean, number one, starting with the problem statement, you know, and I loved, I mean, in our conversation, you talked about people are, call it what it is. It's a problem. I mean, we've got a, we've got an issue here. Uh, and then let's talk about statements and, and the idea to actually get short-term goals where we can see as a team, we can see that there's movement, right? We're not just getting ready to get ready, if you will, right? You, I mean, you shared in the past about what it takes to get up and go. But on the back side of this, you know, we have ideas and everybody from their own point of view, you talked about creating a, a, the same language. Because all of us from different parts of the industry, we speak, you know, one one term or one word would mean this, another would mean that, just because of the experience we all have. But getting that common language together with the problem statement, and as we develop the solutions, certainly as a facilitator of this issue and, and bringing leaders together, I'm impressed by the, uh, the long-term relationships that have been developed with leaders over the years and strong leaders like yourself and what that takes to actually get in a room to get on the same page. But it can be done with that trust that's been built with those relationships over the years. And I, I believe in that. I know that's your experience. Yeah, I, I've always said that the, the role of leadership is to build relationships. It really is. As you as you when you when you go in and take over an organization, 
the job is really relationships. It's making sure that you have all the right relationships built as early as possible so that when the problem comes, you can pull it together. I think of the pandemic. I think of uh, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico because I, I went down to Puerto Rico to support. Um, we were successful in many, of, despite what others might think, we were successful in all these areas because I was able to quickly assemble teams to solve problems. I was able to pick up a phone and call my CFO, my CIO, the chief readiness support officer, the chief security officer and say, guys, we have a problem. Here's what I'm trying to do. Where's your play in this? Does this affect you? How can I help you? Sometimes I was calling them to say, I understand this is coming down the pipe. What do you need from me? What are you thinking about? Do we need to be writing something, you know, writing a contract in advance or researching schedules? My point is that if you really understand those around you, what that support team is, and you've built those relationships, you can move quickly in an emergency. And by the way, let me say this, and, and I apologize if I come across very forceful. In this country, this government, we have always been able to pull it off. Always. Think 9-11. Think the pandemic. Think all these hurricanes. We know how to do this. The problem is that in the moment of urgency, we know how to come together and make it happen. And then all of a sudden, we fall apart after the urgency is over. And every now and then, they write little books about lessons learned, and they become shelfware. They don't become the real-life example. We know how to do this. Think of all that we've been through in this country and how well we've done it within our country and working with even other countries. So why? We don't need big, broad commissions. We need to get the right people in the room with that passion, that commitment, that understanding to say, here's the problem. Here's how we're going to solve it. Here are the steps we're going to take. And we're going to work on my four-letter words. You know, I was going to throw out my little four-letter words. Because <laughs> we seem to be afraid of four-letter words. They are work, test, plan, risk, fail, and fear. we got to get the fear out of the equation. Mm-hmm. got to stop scaring people away from doing big things, important things. One of the things that I credit with my success at at DHS with the Procure Innovation Lab is I wasn't scared. I was eligible for retirement. Seriously, I was. So I was like, let's go do some risky things. But I also tried to remove the fear from my people by saying to them, don't be afraid. I'll I'll give you cover. I will run, you know, uh, I'll block the people that are going to try to stop you. I'm here to help you. And I really did. One of the things that I did was I talked to my leadership team about making sure they understood what their people needed to be successful, mm-hmm. right? How do we help them? How do we not scare them away from doing this? Protests are scary. Congressional hearings are scary. Front page articles that trash the government are scary. They are. And these days, they have everybody's name, so they publish names and stuff. So it is a little scary, but you got to take that fear out of the equation. You got to remind people that when we do big things, we become heroes and we do great stuff, right? And let's do this because our government deserves this, our country deserves this, our citizenry deserves this. So I I, I sound a little Pollyannish, but I got to tell you, I look back and think historically, we come out of all these crises and we do it. And then what happens is we fall apart afterwards. 
Right? We forget what we did. Well, here's the thing. You know, that positive approach, though, is what we all love. And, and as you said, you know, we all want to do great things. And your team wants to do great things. And so the number one, the lessons in leadership, as we bring this to the close and the, the next steps, uh, 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 Soraya, is number one, the, the lessons in leadership that you've unpacked, I don't care what industry you're in, you're listening to this. Those are lessons that Soraya was able to bubble up to the top in her career because she followed and she believed in them. And to be able to create a culture inside your organization where people knew you cared about them first, then they started to care about what your initiatives are because they understood that first. And you certainly implemented that. But when it comes to this national security interest and this problem, your pragmatic next steps of, first of all, writing out the problem statement. Number two, making sure that we get the team uh, speaking the same language going forward, all those team players that they understand, understanding there's a sense of urgency and we're talking peacetime instead of waiting till it's wartime when we can produce because we know that we can, but this team needs to be what? They need to be doers. They need to be passionate about this problem and they need to be diverse from different parts uh, going forward as you've explained now and also in our previous uh, conversations. Uh, and then ultimately, not create solutions that we bring to the Hill that take a huge commission, take many years and 80 or 90 solutions. Let's put together some achievable 30, 60, 90 next day steps along with some long range goals so that everybody knows that we're moving in the right direction and can see that happen. So, I, If I could add, when we talk about the diversity yeah. of the team, it's about the diversity of the disciplines that they represent, but it's also the diversity of the cultures, right? Because it's not just that people come from different areas, business areas, but it's also different ways of thinking and seeing and perceiving problems, the different experiences that we've had. The experiences that I've had as a female growing up 40 years in government, very different from the experience of a female 40 years growing up in industry, right? Mm -hmm. As a minority, as a, a white person, as an Indian, somebody who studied abroad perhaps and worked abroad initially and then comes in. My point is that diversity has to go across everything because mm -hmm. sometimes we focus on the diversity of disciplines and not the diversity of the people's thinking. And mm -hmm. that's an extremely important point that I always try to make is let's get all those cool people, you know, that have done different things, right? Let's get, yeah. get them all in the room. Let's bring me an astronaut or two that I can talk to, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have heard it from an individual that has certainly had success in the industry, but has great ideas. And uh, from my point of view, I think the best is yet to come from Soraya Correa on this, because this kind of experience just bubbles to the top. And obviously for our listeners, uh, you've heard these steps. You can you can listen. You can see the experience. I want to thank you on behalf of the podcast, right? This is great information, and we look forward to having you come back uh, and share more of your insights and help this initiative move forward. Well, Tim, it's my pleasure. It's a privilege to have the opportunity to chat with everyone, and I continue to fight the good fight because I believe I believe that we can make this better. I really do. Excellent. Thank you so much. Take care. See live discussions of this fascinating topic at the Government Contract Pricing Summit in June. 
For more information and registration, visit gcpsummit.com.